Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Travis and Mariah Reynolds. Now the Reynolds are in the process of developing Crooked Bar Ranch in Oklahoma. The ranch is a place where disadvantaged youth can go to develop Western lifestyle work skills such as horsemanship, cattle operations, and farrier work. Now the Reynolds are very grounded in their faith and will have a ministry element to the ranch. Throughout this episode, we briefly touch on their backgrounds, how they met, and Travis shares an amazing story of a pursuit and extended manhunt of a suspect that statistically he probably should not have walked away from. After listening to this episode, you will agree with me that the Reynolds are extremely motivated and their dream of Crooked Bar Ranch will soon be a thriving operation. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Travis and Mariah Reynolds. Travis and Mariah, how are you guys doing this morning? Pretty good. How are you, sir? Good, good, good. This is going to be a pretty interesting show. Travis, we have you in Texas. Mariah, you're in Oklahoma. That's correct, yeah? Yes, yes. sir. Good stuff. So we'll see how we can mash this all together and make sense of it. Sounds like a plan. So first and foremost, I'd just like to touch base with guests and kind of see what's been going on the last couple of weeks. Mariah, what's been going on for you there in Oklahoma? I am currently in the transitioning of jobs and getting ready for the holidays, having two little boys. So, Which is probably a full-time job in itself. Yes. Short of yes, everything else. <laughs> yes. Good stuff. You guys staying local for the holidays or are you going to be doing any traveling? Travis gets back in a couple of days from Midland and then we're turning around and going to Chandler, Texas and then coming back to Oklahoma. Good stuff. Travis, how about you? I know you're in Midland. Visiting some family and business. Yeah, yeah, we're down here um, seeing some some family and friends and doing a little business while we're down here. Just kind of, I, I have the easy job. I'm I'm down here just working. Mariah's the one that's got it rough. She's got to stay home and take care of kiddos and and hold down the fort. So. Yeah, I'll be in a million different directions all all at the same time. It gets to be a daunting task. She's good at it though. Yes, <laughs> I was gonna say they usually are right. So as we go through the show, we'll obviously get through the evolution of of Crooked Bar Ranch and and your guys' ideas and goals and dreams for, for that facility and that ministry. Early on in the show, I like to touch base with people's foundation, how they kind of got their start with horses and, and kind of where they're at to this point. Now, being that you all are married, we'll go through the stories independently and then, and then maybe talk a little bit about once you guys got together and how you guys have formulated the goal and the dream of, of Crooked Bar Ranch. So, Mariah, if you don't mind starting out kind of how you found your way through horses in life and, and up until the point of meeting Travis. Okay. So uh, my pappy, every time we were out there, he was a team roper his pretty much his entire life. And so he was kind of the guy that he had a horse that all of us kids could ride. So he would just put us up there. So that's how I learned. I never really had like any formal training or anything. We just went out to the pasture and hopped on the horse. and so. That's kind of how I've just always been around them. Like they were just, you know, there here in Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma. And then about 16 years old, I have family out in West Texas in Midland. 
in Odessa. And so I was out there for the summer and I don't know if Travis wants to tell this story or not about how we met. <laughs> no? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I always get the pleasure of kind of telling this. So I was working for a guy, uh, I was doing some welding and uh, he was a leader in a youth group that I had been visiting. And I wouldn't really say I was, I was actually like a part of it for the most part. I, I showed up and kind of hung out, but I showed up to this party that he invited me to for the 4th of July. And he, he was like, yeah, my nieces are here. And, and I went over and introduced myself. And of course, you know, being a, a young kid, I was trying to be super steadily. And I noticed Mariah was trying to light a firework, one of the artillery shells. And so not I thought right. I'd be slick. I was successfully like. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I walked over and, and tried to be slick and, you know, do the whole, hey, let me help you and grab your shoulders. Right. Oh, yeah. And when I did, naturally, it goes off. It caught her hair on fire. And we've been together ever since. So I was say, a, there's nothing like romance of lighting your chick on fire the first meeting, right? Yeah. yeah. It was. We've been together ever since. So sparks definitely flew. It was literally, you know, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All American story of meeting her on 4th of July. So good stuff. How old were you guys when you guys got together? You've been together a while now, yeah? Uh, we're yeah. 15. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, we're, we're, we first we're met, 28 yeah. now. Oh, good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. That's yeah. amazing. So, Mariah, after meeting Travis, where do we go from there? So, he still lived in Midland, and I lived in Oklahoma, so that was fun. And then we got engaged in 2009, and we were married in 2010. And I moved out to Midland after that. And then um, when we moved back to Oklahoma, that was when he got into law enforcement and stuff. And so, but today, we're, I mean, we're thankful that we're in a place where we can you know, get back to being around horses and not out in West Texas where there's nothing out there. I say it's such beautiful country. I I had Pat and Mariah Earls on a few weeks ago, and that's what we were describing, the gorgeous country of the oil fields of West Texas. (laughs) (laughs) So we are very fortunate where we live. It is beautiful here. Travis, I know you got one heck of a story in your law enforcement career, and we'll definitely go into that in a lot more detail. But if you want to just kind of go over the summary of of your upbringing and kind of how you made your way to Mariah, looking back now, it was definitely a god thing because uh, I don't I don't ever know that I I still don't know that I deserve her, but especially at that point in my life. But we when we got together, you know, we were we were so far separated and, and going through high school, being in a relationship with somebody who's, you know, 500 miles away was tough to say the least. It's tough to be in a relationship in high school anyways, but you know, God gave us a lot of grace in that season and maintained a really good relationship. And, and we're, we're always really close and stuff. And we didn't get to see each other a whole lot. You know, we were broke and, you know, I was 16, 17 years old. My mom was, she didn't even let me drive, you know, to the convenience store by myself. So definitely wasn't going to get to drive to Oklahoma, but in college, we, we, you know, we've gone through a lot of seasons and, and it hasn't always been pretty, you know, and no, no way do we try to portray that, you know, we're this awesome couple that's never had trouble. You know, it was college was really rough for us and, and we were both trying to kind of find ourselves and went through a lot of stuff. And I had a lot of internal struggles and, and a lot of issues. And then we ended up when we got together, uh, we moved back to Midland and I had several jobs in the oil field. I mean, I've, I've welded and worked around drilling rigs and, you know, everything from changing tires on semis to, to uh, managing a, a tungsten carbide welding shop. And I just was never really fulfilled. And we, we had our first son here in Midland and uh, we kind of, 
we went from that and, and I just, I, I always wanted, I always loved the idea of being in law enforcement, but it was kind of beat out of me. And, and all this time, I mean, I've always wanted to own a ranch. I, that's always been a dream of mine. And to be honest, it was kind of, I don't think anybody did it on purpose, but it was kind of beat out of me at a young age with, well, you can't make any money doing that. Oh, it's too expensive. And you know, all the reasons why I couldn't. And so I kind of let that dream go. And it was always, well, maybe if I won the lottery, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so basically long story short, we, uh, one day I feel like it was, it was just a spur of the moment deal because, um, Mariah's stepdad was in law enforcement up here and we came up to visit. He, he jokingly said, well, you know, if you ever decide to get in law enforcement, give me a call. And I went home and I couldn't shake it. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't let it go. And it just really stuck with me. And, and, and it wasn't like, Oh, a couple months down the road, we decided it. No, it was like, I think we had, we came back after all that happened. And I think he had an interview set up like in the next two weeks. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, you moved was, quick on and, it. Oh, it was oh, very yeah. fast. And it was very, looking back, it was not, if my kids ever told me they were doing that, I would, I would probably lose my mind, but <laughs> everybody was, was strangely supportive. And, you know, I left a very, very good, stable job with an amazing Christian man. So Les McCree and Sylvia McCree, if y'all ever listen to this, thank you so much because they were the ones that brought me in and, and taught me, you know, how to weld and, and how to do this. And, and we were making great money and, and I left all of that behind and literally up and moved, uh, within a couple of weeks and we moved to yeah, Oklahoma. We, we had a contract on the house. We were about to buy our first house out there. And like I said, in a couple of weeks, our entire life. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, we, we moved in with our in-laws to a, uh, we had, it was uh, me and Mariah. And at the time our, our son Kennedy, and we moved into a, like, uh, kind of like a two and a half bedroom house with my in-laws and we were there. Everything we owned was sitting on a flatbed trailer under a, a carport in Oklahoma in the shop. And I had this interview and I met with uh, the county, the uh, officials from the county that I went to work for there. And um, they decided to put me through the academy. And I mean, it was just that fast. I was I was a cop and learned a lot. I worked for two years for a sheriff's office. And then I actually got hired on with a tribal police department here in the state of Oklahoma. And Basically, the way that works is we're commissioned with the local sheriff's offices. So I was commissioned three different times. I had jurisdiction in three separate counties. And so we had a massive jurisdiction. The first two years of my career, actually, I've, I've got to say, went really smooth. I didn't really experience a lot. And I feel like God was kind of preparing me for stuff. And, and I didn't at the time because, you know, that wasn't really my my mindset. But looking back, I was really fortunate. Then when I went to this new uh, police department to go to work. I ended up getting on with the canine program. And I actually uh, got in with uh, a, a guy that helped me learn how to train dogs. And he and I trained police canines that we sold, you know, all across the country and uh, did that for a while. So I was working all night long and then I would get off work. I'd go home and sleep for two or three hours and I'd get up and I'd go out and I'd train dogs all day long, uh, change clothes, get a shower at my friend's house and then go to work. And you know, at the time I was like, oh, this is just what it takes. You know, this is how life is. And slowly it started to really impact my family because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't seeing my kids or my wife. And uh, it just kind of started to spiral out of control for me. And, and um, then things took a really bad turn for me uh, in law enforcement. I, uh, I lost a couple of friends. Um, 
we had a call of a wreck on the interstate. And when I got up there, uh, I was headed to the wreck and they ended up canceling us. And so we turned around and another deputy got out and he said, Hey, there's some troopers on scene. And then it was actually the, the neighboring County that we didn't have jurisdiction in, but that deputy stopped to check on them. And the next thing we heard was officer down on the radio. So we turned around and got there and it was uh, two friends of mine that I had worked with prior at my, my former job, two troopers. And both of them had been hit and uh, one of them was pronounced dead on scene and the other one, you know, was laying in the bar ditch. And so that was my first real experience to, you know, not my first experience of trauma, but the first one that was personal for me. Yeah. I really hit close uh, to home. So it, it started to change my perspective and I'd like to say it made me better. You know, it made me want to spend more time with family, but I think I closed off more than anything. And then we ended up, you know, uh, later on in my career, I ended up uh, starting a pursuit with a vehicle and he, a PT cruiser of all things. But oh boy, here me. we go. I know, man, it was when it happened in the beginning, I remember even laughing because he pat, we were both going the same direction and he passed me, you know, in excess of a hundred miles an hour. I was like, I didn't even know they would do that. You know, and, <laughs> ain't that the and, truth. And so I, I lit him up and uh, next thing I know we're in a pursuit and I'm like, this is, this is crazy. You yeah, know, you gotta be kidding me right now. Yeah. And, it was all fun and games, man. And I remember, you know, as a cop, we, we get excited about the, you know, not that, Oh, you know, we're in a pursuit is dangerous, but it's like, Oh man, you know, we see this stuff on cops growing up and every time it's like the first time when you get in a pursuit and I started chasing him and about three minutes into the pursuit, the driver leaned out the window and he fired off about four rounds at me. And the first round went through my windshield uh, on the passenger side and it lodged in the back quarter panel of my Tahoe that I was driving at the time. And then, then things weren't fun anymore. I mean, I, I, I was really for the first time, you know, I was scared that I wasn't going to come home. It makes things so real. Much so, yeah. so much. So I even, I even text my wife <laughs> during this pursuit. And I said, I just text her. I love you. Cause it was the only thing I could get out. And I saw that she texted back and said, I love you too. And I throw the phone on the floorboard and, and I, I remember on. saying, I remember saying, that's the last thing I'm going to ever say to my wife, you yeah, know? And yeah. so I was involved in this pursuit and, and I lasted in excess of an hour, I think almost an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes. So early in the pursuit after rounds were fired, I had made the decision I was going to go ahead and return fire with the suspect and try and end it. And about the time I remember laying my weapon across the dashboard and kind of preparing myself for what was going to happen. And, and mentally that feeling is just awful. And, you know, people say all the time, they, they Monday morning quarterback everything and, Oh, well, you know, I ought to killed him. And, and man, I'm here to tell you that that's an emotion that I pray to God. Nobody ever has to feel. And it was, it was a, an intense, intense fear. And the moment that I made that decision, we noticed that there was um, another occupant in the vehicle and she was a, a, a very young female. And so I never was in a position where I could, in the threat, but I couldn't stop pursuing the suspect either at this point. And so long story short, we chased him for a while. He uh, shot about 60 rounds and toward the end of the pursuit, he fired around into the hood of my vehicle. Hold on. Did you say, did you say 60 as in six zero or 60 as in or 16, one six? No, no. Six zero is what investigators told us that Jesus. they believe he fired at me. And one of the rounds toward the end of the pursuit actually was in line with the driver's seat it struck the hood. It went in between the space between the, the bottom of the hood and the top of the engine. And it actually collided with the piece of square tubing that supports your windshield wipers. 
that one inch piece of square tubing. And it was, they said, had I been going a couple miles an hour faster or had he aimed like a quarter inch to a half an inch higher, it probably would have struck me either in the chest, the throat or the head. I was going to say, and you're traveling down the highway. So who's to say that he don't hit a bump, you don't hit a bump, right? And that round just don't align with that, that one inch piece of steel. It was, it was, uh, we didn't know all this till after, you know, and I knew that he, I knew he hit, and, and at that point we were actually, we had turned off on a dirt road and, and I made the decision that I was going to terminate. I was going to step out and the pursuing units in front of me uh, or behind me actually took over the pursuit for the last five minutes and suspects bailed into the woods. And we had a 17 hour manhunt where they were both apprehended and uh, taken into custody. And I remember, and, and we took fire from the woods. I mean, he would, he would shoot at us and we didn't know where they were. It was a, it was an intense thing, but I remember being huddled behind my patrol car for cover after all of that with those guys. And this happened on a Sunday and we always joked about nothing ever happens on a Sunday for us, you know? And, and I remember saying the words, I said, man, I tell you what, after this, I think I'm going to start going to church. And everybody kind of laughed and looking back, I, I, I see how much I did for him in that moment because I probably shouldn't have survived that. And so after that was really when it was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't what I want to do anymore that I know I'm capable. I know I can do it, but is it worse what my family's going to have to suffer? And I started to have a lot of problems, you know, in traffic and around people and, and just social anxiety really, you know, and, uh, every time in Mariah will, you know, she'll tell you it was, it yeah, was a really I, dark time. I was going to say like hearing people say like, Oh, I can't be in crowds. Like we did not go anywhere together for the longest time. He wouldn't go into a mall we didn't go to any concerts. Like we did not go anywhere where there was probably more than 20 people in the room. It was just a really bad time for me where I, I was so wrapped up in that, that I, I didn't have an outlet. I didn't know how to let go. And so it ended up kind of culminating with a day where Mariah and I had had, had this just disagreement that there was just everything had kind of just gone bad. And And there was a moment of realization on my part that was like, I'm about to lose everything. You know, my family is miserable with me. I've become this person that's just, you know, awful to be around. I don't have anything pleasant to say to anybody. And Mariah had started going to this church over in Seminole, Oklahoma, the next town over from us. And she told me, she said, listen, this is where I'm going to be on Sundays. And if you want to go, I would love for you to be there. And I knew in that moment, it was pretty much that something has to change in my life. Like I've got to do something because I'm about to lose everything that I love. So we went to church that next Sunday and it was just the most freeing experience. Just hearing somebody tell me that God loved me and he didn't hold me. He wasn't mad at me for what I I had done and where I'd been and who I'd become. And March 17th, I believe was the date. Pretty sure it was March 17th was a Sunday service and I, my feet started working before my brain or my body knew what happened. But the pastor had said, you know, if, if you need something, if you need to start over with God, now's your time, you know, you need to be down here. And, and I looked up and I remember walking thinking, oh no, 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 that I shouldn't have moved. You what know, am I, I doing? I don't, this isn't me. And, yeah. and I ended up at the front and man, it was, it was a moment of just completely laying all of that down and just walking away from it. And and I still struggled. There was still stuff that came up that bothered me. But and that's where horses kind of came in for us that I, we've always loved youth and young adults and being in that environment and, and helping them grow. And at the time, I didn't know who this guy was. I just knew that he had a really sweet beard and I had a big beard at the time. <laughs> and so he was in our church and I went down. And I said, man, I just got to tell you, your beard is awesome. 
and we started having a conversation and his name was Brian Montgomery and uh, his wife, Amanda Montgomery. And we started talking and getting to know him and come to find out they were the youth pastors. So we started hanging out with the youth group and uh, we ended up that first year kind of by chance going to youth camp. Well, in all of that, we met their daughters, Hannah and Tristan Montgomery, and, and they were both into horses. And at the time, I never thought, you know, I had always wanted that lifestyle. But for me, it was like I never had that opportunity. And now I go out and they're like, well, hey, you want to go ride? And I was like, sure. You know, I mean, I was kind of like Mariah. We we used to go and just jump on horses in the pasture and we didn't know anything. We rode till they kicked us off and then we went home, you know. Yeah. So they actually, Tristan kind of took me in and saw, you know, my passion for it and my excitement and started to really shape me into an actual rider and not just, you know, somebody warm in a saddle and going along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. And teaching me more about horsemanship and how, you know, how things work and what to do. And it was kind of humbling, you know, because I came in at very type A personality, like you don't have to teach me anything, you know, I got this. And, but I learned a lot and I cannot say enough about how much she has done for for us because I, I experienced so much healing being with the horses and and working with horses and and it's just been it's been a really crazy journey from there. So it's quite the testimony that you just shared over the last few minutes, and I would like to go back and touch on some points because I think you made some very very valuable points that a lot of individuals struggle with, obviously in the law enforcement military community, but I think some of the stuff parallels professions outside of, let's say, emergency services or, or defense of this country. In going back through your story, you talk about, you know, the wreck on the interstate and seeing those two troopers down. And that was a, a change in perspective for you, or that incident was a catalyst for change in perspective for you. Can you kind of explain to me or develop a little bit more? What was your perspective prior to seeing that collision and responding to it? And then how your perspective had changed after the collision? Man, I, I you know, I have to say with that, that I think that was just the first one that, that shaped a little bit more of my perspective, because I, I kind of have to put this in there too, that later on down the road, we lost an officer at our department in a, in a collision. He was on duty and he was actually involved in a wreck. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very, very thankful that I didn't have to respond to that for selfish reasons, but being there for the family and stuff. Uh, and then we also had a, a very young officer in Tecumseh that uh, was a friend of mine that was shot and killed by a suspect that, you know, affected our community. And so I think every time that you go through it, it changes how you view the world. And I, I see now at the time, you know, I viewed law enforcement as, you know, this is fun and, you know, we're, we get to go out and, and protect and serve, but there's also this adrenaline and, and we get to run into situations that, you know, my, my mom hates. And, and it was, it was more about the adrenaline for me than, than it was for anything and the excitement and the the pride of getting to do this job. And then that happened. And it was like, it kind of brings you down. Like this, this job isn't, it's not just sitting and watching an episode of cops. You know I mean? This is for real. You know, th- this, that could have just as easily been me had I been the first one to respond to that accident. And I think my perspective kind of switched to being super, super guarded about everything and being really, really worried about everything around me and, and you know, everything from traffic stops. And, and I became, I became so, I, I was looking so much for the bad that was about to happen that I became bitter. And really, I, I think that my perspective on life switched because I saw how fragile everything was. You know, I remember being around that trooper's family 
after he passed away and, and just having the little bit of interaction that I did, because, you know, I said we were, we worked together and stuff. It wasn't like we went out and ate dinner or we're best friends, but you know, knowing those people and knowing his family, it was like, that could have been me. And so I think it changed my perspective, honestly, for the, for the worse until I encountered Christ. And at the point where I encountered the Lord, I think that's when my perspective switched to, yeah, life is, life is pretty fragile and, and pretty fleeting, but you know, as long as what we're doing glorifies him, then the outcome doesn't really matter. Like what happens because of other people or because of, you know, outside factors doesn't matter. As long as when I go, I know and my my kids know that everything I did was to glorify God, then it really doesn't, nothing else really matters that much, you know? You're absolutely correct. And I think in going through you explaining, right, a new officer and the adrenaline rush and then seeing how real life becomes, I think this is where the military and law enforcement community could improve from a self-help or self-health standpoint. And Jeremy yeah. Spitzer was a previous guest of mine, and he had made the comment that the military does a phenomenal job of making civilians war fighters, but struggle with making war fighters civilians again when it's all said and done. Man, and it's so true. And I think it very much parallels law enforcement in the fact that when you are young and you are athletic and you are in that Superman mentality, right? Everything is fun. Your first foot pursuit, yeah. your first fight, whatever you're involved in. But it's those critical incidents when you see something go bad, right? A horrible wreck yeah. takes place. You end up taking rounds. You see a buddy go down. You yourself go down and become injured. You realize this ain't for fun anymore. This is real. And, yeah. and I, I think the pendulum shifts so fast from hey, this is fun and exciting, and I'm doing big, amazing things for my community, to, holy crap, one little one little slight change in perspective. I mean, let's talk about that round going through the cross member of your car. Literally, yeah. we're talking <laughs> about a quarter-inch difference, and this conversation yeah. never takes place, right? So you start to it, see it, how, how fast and, excuse me, how small and how fast those changes take place, and the circumstance is extremely different. And exactly. law enforcement and military just, I can't say all, but... A lot of guys just bury themselves in that hyper-protection state of mind. And exactly. and that's where the struggle takes place is we don't kind of ease into that transition or we do great jobs training training for those situations, but training and actually being involved in it are two completely different perspectives. And that's what I was just about to say is that, you know, as stupid as it sounds, I had been through so much training. You know, I mean, I, I was a young officer. If, if there was a school or a class... I mean, I didn't care if it took up, you know, all of my days off, you know, or if I had to go to it during the day and then go to work at night, I was going. And, and I was, I feel like from a, a tactical standpoint, you know, I've, I've been through SWAT school and I've been through all these advanced trainings and, and it was like, I'm ready for this. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm not poking fun at it, but honestly, the first thing that I thought when that bullet actually came my way was, oh my God, those things are so fast. Yeah. I mean, it was like, and looking back on it, I guess I see now where, you know, I had been shot at with, you know, airsoft and simunition and things to prepare and kind of train for that. But when it was real lead and it was real life and, and my life was really hanging in that balance, I had made the decision that, you know, in my mind that I'm probably not going to make it out of this. And, and that I don't know that we can ever explain that fear to somebody that's never experienced it. And I hope that people that are listening to this never have to. But we do such a, a, we have this weird culture where when people say, I don't even like to, to use the term PTSD. I've never like been clinically diagnosed with it or whatever, but 
it's one of those things that when people say that term, I think there's this this connotation where it's, you know, somebody, you know, sitting in the fetal position, rocking back and forth, you know, scared to death. And that's not it. Yeah. I mean, that that's not, you know, you experience things and, and you, you can respond in so many different ways when you've been through stuff. And, uh, you know, listening to I think it was the very first episode with with Charlie Five and the stuff that he was doing with with horses and, and kind of veterans and stuff. that to me, man, that's just that's amazing because in law enforcement, there's there's almost this stigma of, of talking about, you know, your issues and, and things that you're going through. And uh, I think that a lot of officers fail to identify what they're facing because they don't want to be seen as weak. And I can't speak for the military. I was never in military, but I'm sure that it probably correlates because it's the same personality types that we don't we don't want to say that we have a problem. And you know, I, I've got to I've got to give credit to to God in this for me because if it wasn't for Him fixing what was wrong with me and and helping me be comfortable in who I was, I would never be able to to have this conversation. You know, I would have I, I suppressed it for a long time, and I'm finally to a point in my walk with God that I can talk freely about. Yeah, you know, I went through some stuff and it sucks, but this is who my God is. That doesn't define me. Absolutely, and it didn't, those dark times didn't define my marriage. And, and we stepped out of that because God brought us out. We weren't capable on our own. And, you know, Mariah, I, I, I have to tell you, you know, I have to put it out there for the public that if it wasn't for her, I don't know that I'd be here today because she did so much to bring me back to, to Christ and, and have that relationship. And, and so I'm, I had a lot of variables in my life that lined up just perfect to, to bring me back to who God was. And it all, it all kind of correlated and, and ties back into this dream of Crooked Bar Ranch that we've kind of conceived over the last year. I think it's incredible. And I think the wives are kind of the unsung heroes in this dynamic of, of law enforcement and military. Because if you think about it, as an officer or soldier deployed, you have, you have some control over situations, right? Whether you're making an entry or you're on a search or whatever. And oftentimes the wives are sitting at home and have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Or there's very little communication because you don't talk throughout your shift or you're on deployment. And there's no form of communication to get back home. And, and for these wives to stick around and provide that support and, and almost have this blind fear of what their husbands are out doing or, or husbands when wives are deployed or, or out serving, it takes an incredible human being to back a law enforcement or military individual. And I don't think that is recognized as often as it should be. I agree. And, and Mariah, I, I I think it's important for Mariah to kind of say her piece of, you know, she always had the saying that, you know, she she wasn't a cop's wife. And that's kind of her story to tell. But. Well, I mean, just because, like we said, we met when we were 16 years old and we got married and he, I did not marry a police officer is what I say. That's not all my husband was. I mean, sometimes you got, I kind of get surrounded by people that, you know, they, that's what they look for in their spouse. And I mean, that's fine. I'm not, that's not, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying like when he went through all of that, it was, it was scary, but at the same time, it was like in everything that he goes through, um, he was not defined as a police officer to me. Like I saw more in him than his job. No, it absolutely makes sense. And I tell people that, I mean, when you go through any kind of struggle or even in a profession, right? A profession should not define who you are right? It's what you do, but it's not who you are, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. And so whenever he was going through all this and it was like he got to where that was just it consumed his every day. I mean, he was if he like he said, if he wasn't on his job, like at work, he was thinking about what he was going to do at work or taking another class or but to me, it was like this isn't all of who you are like. Yeah, you knew him before all of that. Yeah. So whenever he did decide to get out of law enforcement, it and everybody was like, well, what are you going to do? Like, like, I'm like, we're going to do what we did before we were in law enforcement. Like, we're going yeah, to live, life live our life. Make yeah. Work. yeah. And I think I think that's a funny part of our life, because when I moved to Oklahoma, I moved up here and I was instantly in law enforcement. You know, it was. I moved up, had an interview, bang, I was wearing on the street, 511s yeah. and carrying a gun. And, you know, I mean, that was, that was me, you know, and the, the friends and the network that we developed up here never saw like our engagement pictures. You know, I was, I was all about it, Wranglers and, and Ariad and wearing a cowboy hat. And I, I, I wanted this lifestyle and I had these dreams and these visions and, and I kind of let law enforcement overrun that. And so when we got out, and I pushed all of my cop gear, you know, put, I, I remember the day, man, I, I got a big, one of those big black contractor bags. And I went through my closet and if it said police or if it came out of a Gauls magazine, you know, I was throwing <laughs> it in a bag yeah, and I yeah. wasn't mad. I wasn't mad about the profession, but I was like, I am not going to be defined by this. My God told me who I was, you know? And I mean, I was in there crying. Like it was just this really freeing moment where I, I let all that go. And I think that, when I broke out all of my, you know, got my cowboy hat back out and dusted everything off and was like, I'm going back to who God told me I was, not who I wanted to be. All of a sudden, everybody's like, well, you know, that's kind of weird. You're, you know, you're, you're a poser and you're fake. And it's like, you don't know me. And yeah, so, this was a story before law enforcement. Yeah. And so it's been this kind of fun transition where people see me now, you know, that they they're like, oh, yeah, you're you're doing the cowboy thing. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm doing the thing that like who I am. But it's just been an interesting transition over the last year, you know. It's, it's it's really been kind of funny. And I think it's great and and I think the the shift for you is common. You talk about the personality type, right? Generally law enforcement, yeah. military, that type A personality. If there's if there's a problem, we fix it. If there's an answer that needs to be sought, we're the ones that go get it, right? Yeah. And I think oftentimes that personality can play against us because we have a hard time saying no, right? So what do you do? You pick up the overtime shift. Or yeah. you stay late or you come in early or you pick up that shift for your buddy or you're working to put training together when you go back to work, right? So yeah. like Mariah said, you never really turn off, right? You're always geared up or keyed up towards work and all of this stuff wears on you. And I think the profession as a whole is getting better at life balance, but you can only put so many miles on a car for those tires need to get rotated, right? Or you need an oil oh, change true. or you got to fill up that fuel tank. And oftentimes, historically, we don't think about the career with that analogy, but we need to have some kind of maintenance work, whether it be faith, whether it be horses, whether it be working out or whatever hobby an individual chooses to recharge those life's batteries. And and for you guys, it was the ranching route and it was the horsemanship route. And God laid on your heart this, this idea for Crooked Bar Ranch. So if you guys don't mind, let's kind of get shift the perspective into where we're at today and, and what your guys' goals are for this ranch and this ministry. Yeah. And this is the exciting part for me because it's really, this is, is kind of the culmination of, of all the stuff that's happened in our life. And I, I feel like over the last year, we've finally gotten to a place where God is like, okay, 
now I'm going to start revealing to you. And so Crooked Bar Ranch, like I said, I always wanted to have this dream of owning a ranch and, and having cattle and, you know, having horses and all those things. And that's really kind of, that's kind of been where we've been working towards over the past year or so. And then I've been praying about it and I just can't see God giving me something and me just keeping it to myself and being selfish and, and just my family enjoying it, that there has to be something for the kingdom that we can do that'll build other people. And, and we've always been drawn to youth. And so we really kind of began praying about, you know, God, what's your vision for this? What do you want out of this? And what do you see? And what ended up kind of coming out of it was not the answer I wanted. I'll be real honest with you that God started to kind of, uh, kind of bring us into a place where we understood it was going to be I hate using the term at risk, but that's the only way I really know how to describe it, that we're going to take kids that they don't really have, they haven't had a shot and they haven't had, you know, uh, life hasn't really been super fair to them and, and they, they want stuff for their life, but they don't really have the means to get that. And so we're going to, we want to take those kids in and we want to introduce them to the ranching lifestyle. And, and, you know, you hear the term all the time, like, oh, well, cowboys are a dying breed. And, I just don't believe that, you know, being a first generation uh, rancher and the things that we're wanting to do, I found that, man, if you go to some of these old cowboys or some of these ranchers and you say, hey, I want you to teach me how to do this. I've never encountered anybody that says no, that they're so willing and they want to pass that information on because I think the passion for that lifestyle is is just something that you don't want to keep to yourself. And so we want to take that and the knowledge that we have with with horses and welding and and you know uh, cattle handling and, and land management and all these different things and we want to offer essentially kind of like a vocational school for these these kids that haven't really had a shot and these young adults that need something and they're interested in ranching and everything you know like i said i, I train canines and we're working on some you know trying to do the cow dog thing and so i want to take and be able to offer them like if you have an interest that has to do with the Western community, we want to accommodate that. And we want to give you the skills to go out and get a job on a ranch or go out and go to work welding or, or go to work shoeing horses or whatever it may be. But we want to offer them the ability to do that. But first and foremost, we want to offer them a place where they can come and meet Jesus and, and, and find the Savior and have that relationship. If we If we do this and a kid never you know, runs a beat on a welder or gets under a horse to shoe it or whatever, but they encountered the Lord. Our work was completely worth every every bit of blood, sweat, and tears. And so that's what we're pushing towards is building something that kids can, I say kids, young adults can come to and, and they can have a safe place where they can ask questions and learn and get a feel for, you know, there's going to be ranch work to be done. If you're going to be in this program, you're probably going to end up cleaning stalls and you're going to end up doing stuff, but they need to understand the work ethic behind this lifestyle because it's not all you know going and just riding a horse around and then you getting off of it and being done there, there's work and so i think that's kind of where we're focused at is to bring them in and let them encounter god and teach them how to do these things but i truly think god has put the horse on earth to teach men how to better live their lives and you talk about teaching these kids specific skill sets whether it's farrier work or horsemanship or welding but I think the bigger picture is, is that even if these kids don't live a life of the Western lifestyle or, or get into Western careers, ranch work itself or horsemanship or cattle ranching, whatever perspective you want to take on it in the Western lifestyle or that umbrella of the Western lifestyle, 
is think of all the life lessons that are learned of it, right? Discipline yeah. and responsibility and faith and hard work. And those are skill sets that I think society is losing because we get so wound up in instant gratification. We think whatever goal or whatever purpose, we need it now. And if we don't get it, we feel entitled to have it. And if we don't get it, we're entitled, then we just throw a tantrum. A lot of what I see is we building your dreams and chasing your dreams is something we want to instill in these people that come to Crooked Bar. That, And I think that's why we're starting this now, because I do, I've been doing some writing that we're going to kind of be releasing, and, and we'll, we can talk about that toward the end of the show, but we're going to release kind of just almost like journal entries of, of what God is doing in that time and how we're feeling. And it's pretty raw. I mean, it's, you know, there are days where it's, you know, I'm frustrated and, 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 but you're going to, people are going to get to follow Crooked Bar Ranch and they're going to get to see, you know, this young couple from Oklahoma walk from where we are now. We got the promise that God gave to us and you're going to get to follow this journey all the way through the completion of, of what God is doing in this. And I think that's where it's significant is that we're teaching them all these stuff, but there's also that ability to follow it in the beginning where we're at right now and watch all of it manifest. And so chasing your dreams, you know, almost all of our posts, we have the hashtag chase your dreams. And we, we believe in that, that if you have a promise, if you have something that God has put on your heart, the only thing keeping you from it is, is your hard work and, and desire. A good mentor of mine professionally, uh, we had a sit down, oh, this is maybe two years ago now. And we talked about dreams and we specifically talked about as children or raising children, right? You teach a child or it's common to, to, to mentor a child to the fact of dreaming where, where, man, you want to be a doctor, go get it, right? You want to be a cowboy, yep. go get it. You want to be a policeman, a fireman. You want to be in the military, go get all of that. And this might be more of a rhetorical question, but if you have an answer, I'd love to hear it. He posed a question to me as an adult or as we go through life, like when do we stop dreaming? Why do we stop dreaming? Why do we give up? How do we, you know, why do we settle? Because so many times you hear that, you know, hey, I'm in the oil industry, but I would love to do A, B, C, and D. Hey, I'm in law enforcement, but I would love to do this, that, or the other, right? So why do we stop dreaming as adults? You know, I think my perspective on that is because society is so afraid of dreams and so afraid of risk that as adults, we're, we're conditioned to believe that as we grow up, we have to stop dreaming and we have to settle. And I, I believe that as, you know, it's just like when I was a kid and I would tell people like, man, I'm going to own the biggest cattle ranch. People were like, well, good luck. You know, you can't make any money that you're going to have to be a millionaire to do that. You know, and we, we kind of, as we grow older, we're, and maybe I'm way off, but at least for me, that's kind of what I'm seeing as I step back is that society has conditioned us to believe that your dreams are unattainable because risk is so frowned upon because people are, are scared and people are hurt. Especially this last year, whenever we did decide that Travis was going to quit his stable job with a guaranteed, you know, what we knew what we were going to make every month and we were going into this new season. But everybody around us kind of thought, you know, y'all are crazy. Like, what are you doing? You're, you're stable. You have this. But even though it wasn't fulfilling our needs or, you know, or our dreams, even we sh- I feel like they were just expecting us to sacrifice our happiness for stability. And yeah. I and I don't think that's just us. I think that's just a society as a whole. Like, instead of chasing our dreams, we're chasing what's going to make us comfortable. And I, and I think a lot of that societal pressure testifies or, excuse me, touches on 
Like if you don't make X amount of dollars, it's a failure, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't have a brand new truck or a brand new house, it's a failure. And I have found through my journey that there's so much more value to life and you can make so much more of an impact other than fame and fortune. And I've made plenty of professional changes over the last couple of years to allow me more opportunities in the horse industry, in this Western lifestyle. And the blessings that I've received in return have come tenfold compared to the effort that I have put forth. But it was very, very small shifts in my perspective and very, very small changes in my lifestyle. You know, I'd given up a substantial portion of my income to make a change to give me more opportunities in the horse industry. Financially, I haven't balked at that loss one single bit. We haven't changed yeah. our lifestyle one single bit because there's been other ways to provide for us. And the opportunities are so much more fulfilling than just making a boatload of money and trying to be the next big rock star, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, we talked a little bit before we started uh, recording about how the stability and stuff. And like Mariah said, we left this to take a job that is commission based. And so it's super unstable. But because I'm, you know, we're self employed now. God has blessed us in so many ways with the amount of time that I get to spend with my family. And and so far to date, like we've had struggles. I mean, you know, there's always that stress at the end of the month. I, and, and I think no matter how much money you make, I think that there's stress in life, but there's been those stress moments where it's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? But I can say, and, and I think it's important to say to people that are listening to this, thinking about chasing their dreams, God has never let us down when we prayed about it and, and God told us, you know, Hey, this is what I want you to do. And we were obedient to that. We have never been let down by God. Every time that it's been, Hey, we're about to lose this or we're behind, or we don't know what's going to happen. We've had a breakthrough. You know, we, we will pray about it and God, if this is still where we're supposed to be, we need to know. And we have never gone without a breakthrough from God. And he has always been faithful to us. And I think that's why we're so firm in declaring where we're at with Crooked Bar Ranch that, yeah, right now, it's it's not necessarily like this tangible thing where you can drive up the front gate and you can park and sit in our living room on Crooked Bar Ranch and talk with us about, you know, the cow operation. But the ministry is very tangible. We are we are implanting ourselves in people's lives and God is opening up doors and allowing us to go and minister to people and be a part of people and, you know, just kind of do life with them and encourage them to chase their dreams because we were obedient to that. So I think it's very important for people to know that if if God has told you to do something and it seems like it's against what society tells you, you will never be disappointed in following through with what he tells you. It's an incredible perspective. And and you guys did mention that, that Crooked Bar is in the early stages of its development and planning. But I can definitely, I can feel the passion. I can feel the fire. I can feel the faith in the way you guys describe this thing. And, and I don't see where it wouldn't be anything else but successful. Well, we appreciate it. And we're definitely excited about the future. And, um, you know, we're, we're not, we're not out looking for, you know, likes on Facebook or on Instagram, but we do, you know, people share that stuff. I think that it helps get the word out. And I think that it'll, you know, our goal is that people will start to see it and they'll say, you know, hey, so-and-so could really benefit from that. And they'll start, you know, bringing people in our, into our lives and just kind of spreading that ministry. And so that's kind of where we're at is we're, like you said, we're in the early stages, but the way that we see it is we might be in the early stages of it, but God's not, it's in his hands and he knows what's going to happen with it. And, and so we're just trying our best been to be obedient for it, and yeah. faithful. We briefly discussed kind of what the goals for Crooked Bar is in the big picture, but let's talk about where you guys are kind of located, the community in which you're trying to serve, 
So people listening in the surrounding areas, if they wanted to find you or support you, kind of talk about where you're at, what you guys would need, um, where you're at in the process of Crooked Bar and its development. Yeah. So we we live in Winnewoka, Oklahoma. We're in Seminole County, Oklahoma. We are where we're at right now is is with all the changes coming up we're hoping that within the next year we actually will be able to get the the first piece of property uh to start actually bringing people out and and having the the you know classes and and stuff like that and and kind of teaching people about you know the the stuff that we're wanting to do on that side we do a lot of stuff in Seminole uh and we woke and just that whole surrounding area if you're familiar with that they're all right there beside each other but um we that's where we're based out of we're planning we want to stay in that county we feel really drawn to Seminole County and I think that there's a lot that a lot of people that could benefit we're close enough to Oklahoma City that I think that it will be able to have an outreach with a lot of the people in Oklahoma City and I think it'll resonate well but we're not we're not out trying to do you know we're not out asking you know oh please send us your money we're not at that stage and we're we're pretty upfront with that that you know, eventually we might have to do some fundraisers because this ministry is going to be funded by supporters. But in this stage, we just, all we want right now is we just want people praying and, and agreeing with us and, and, you know, reaching out and, and talking with us and helping us build this dream. Like I said, our Facebook and Instagram, uh, we would love for you guys to to check that out and follow us. What we're trying to do is, is we want to release a podcast. Uh, we've released one it's a two-part episode and it kind of breaks down who we are and what our dream is. It's not quite as in-depth as we went today, but our goal in that is we want to release a podcast episode, hopefully every week, but we're going to start doing that after the first of the year. So you can find our podcast and kind of keep up with what we're doing and and we'll kind of fill people in on, we're going to have some guests and and we're going to do different things that kind of keep you up to date on what's happening with Crooked Bar. Like we said in the beginning, the whole point of where we're at right now is simply to be obedient to God and let people watch as he delivers us from where we are to the promise that he gave us. And so I think that's that's kind of our goal at this stage with Crooked Bar is to let people follow along with that and and just kind of glorify God and let them see that, you know, when God promises you something, this is what can happen. And not that we're perfect, but everybody's journey is different, but it's definitely, we're hoping it'll be encouraging. Oh, absolutely. And you've touched on many, many points throughout our conversation today about, you know, hey, we're all broken. We're currently broken. We're probably going to break again at some point in our life, right? We've all had yeah. struggles. We've all had strife. But we all can be successful if if we have that faith and we have those releases and we truly pursue that life balance. And I know you talk about speaking off air. We talked a lot about your paradigm shift in your horsemanship and kind of how that's shaped your perspective of the ranch and and some approaches that you take to your life now if you don't mind kind of touching base on how you first got involved in horses your your initial mentality or approach to horsemanship and then yeah. how that paradigm shifted tremendously to truly working on horsemanship and developing a skill set oh man i you know i'd like to say that um i'm some great horseman but uh man, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm eager to learn. And I think that's about as good, as good as I can really build myself up. When I first started with horses, I got a horse that he's, he's a, a I don't know, he's, he's just kind of short. And so he moving around is a little tough. And, and when I first got him, he hadn't been ridden in quite a while. And, and I mean, I think everybody, you know, that's involved in the equine industry knows green on green doesn't go well. And, and I was very green and the horse had the foundation, but he was pretty green, hadn't been rode in a while. And so we had we had some knockdown drag outs. And I think really where I started deciding I was doing it wrong was 
I had this old school kind of cowboy mentality, you know, of you get on them and, and like I say, you sperm till they act right. And, and so I would really get on and just, I didn't understand pressure and release that well. And it was just, you need to do it when I ask and what I ask immediately. And we got pretty crossways and I wasn't getting anywhere and I was super frustrated. And, you know, it went from being something that I found so much relief and so much healing into being something that was like, this horse is the problem and I'm selling him. And, you know, I, I just need a good horse and this one isn't it. And I think where it all kind of changed was the first time I got thrown. I have a, a really, really patient horse. And I think the fact that any animal that's that big will let us get on their back and maneuver them around and not just absolutely kill us is is just an act of God by itself. But my horse has, has been really patient with me learning and figuring out. And he threw me one day and it, it, it really shocked me. And I think I hit the dirt and I thought in my head, you know, man, I'm I'm not supposed to get thrown, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a right here. this is who I am. Yeah. And it was like, what in the world is wrong with him? And as I got back up and I got in the saddle, I thought maybe I did something. And it was that moment where it was like, you know, I was shocked and confused because I was the problem. <laughs> yeah. And so it yeah. was, it's hard it was to admit. this moment of, oh yeah, especially for, for somebody with my personality, you know, that, and, and actually the funny part, you know, we've talked a little bit about Tristan Montgomery and she was there and I had just been bragging to her about, cause you know, he, I had been on a couple of horses at crow hopped and stuff, but not, I'd never been really thrown since I was a little kid, you know? And man, he unleashed and, and I had just been bragging to her. I was like, you don't understand how sticky I am. Like, I don't know that there's a horse that could throw me. And of course I was joking, but you know, my chest was puffed out. And, and then I'd God says, around. watch this. And man, I hit the ground and I, I don't even think that my boots had touched the ground yet. And Tristan turned around. She goes, what happened to you being sticky? And it was like, I was so humbled. And at that moment, it was like, I'm doing something wrong. And honestly, I'll tell you where it started was that night I went home and I started watching YouTube videos on, you know, how to make your horse do this or how to make, and I came across Clinton Anderson. I started listening to kind of what he was saying and, and some of that stuff. And I was like, man, this stuff is gold. And so I spent time in the round pen and developing a real bond with with my horse. And um, I started listening to other, you know, really, really just great horse trainers and and seeing how they're doing stuff. And it began to be something again that was exciting. You know, it was like, man, you know, he has a lot of trouble, you know, doing this, but let's work on this and see if it fixes it. And it began it began to be, you know, something that I look forward to going and getting in the saddle every day or being in the round pen and, you know, seeing progress and it really changed how I viewed the horse. It went back to being something that I could go out and, you know, there's still days where I have really bad days and, and I'm, I'm stressed or I'm frustrated and I go out to the round pen and, and they know, and, and anybody who rides horses knows how sensitive they are to your emotions. And, yeah, and you know, I'll go absolutely. out there and just be mad, but talking, just sitting and t talking to him is, is as weird as it sounds. You know, I've heard people talk about that before, but just having this conversation and telling him, and I, I don't know that it does anything for him, but it does a lot <laughs> it sure for sure does something for you, yeah. You know? Yeah, and, absolutely. And it's just, we've bonded a lot. And, and, you know, I've got some, I've got a lot of goals for 2019. And I want to be the very best horseman that I can possibly be. And so I think this year, you know, I set a goal and I just talked with Mariah earlier and I said, you know what, this is my year. I've never won a buckle. We do a lot of ranch sorting and I've never won a buckle, but this year, I, I want to do that to prove to myself that I'm not a fraud. You know, I'm yeah, not, you can put together a good I, horse. I actually am learning. Yeah. And, and so it's kind of this, this journey where it's, we're setting goals. And, and so far every goal we've set, we've accomplished. We, once I, I, I'm sure that God kind of set this up for me, but as we, you know, I started to walk into this horsemanship thing and 
and trying to bond and form this real relationship with my horse. Uh, a couple weeks later, we went to a sorting, a little jackpot in Payton uh, at the White Horse Arena and we won it. And it was like, holy cow, you know, like you started coming together. You see a result. And, yeah. Yeah. And it was like, you know, I mean, maybe we were lucky, but to me, it was, you know, horsemanship is, is, a, is it really pays off. And so it all ties back in. And I see so much of my relationship with God that I, I see in horsemanship and how the patience and, you know, the pressure even and the things that we walk through in horsemanship relate so much to uh, my walk with God and how patient he is with me and how, you know, occasionally you get thrown in the dirt because you did something that you shouldn't have and you get up and dust yourself off and you, you keep moving forward. And so it all kind of ties together for me in this weird kind of hard to explain way. But no, I think people that get it, get it right. It's it's hard to explain Absolutely. to folks that don't because it's a feeling, right? It's not yeah. an action. It's a feeling. And, and so until you get yourself in that arena and you put boots in the dirt and you have hoof prints next to you, it's kind of hard to figure that thing out. But I very, very much resonate with your story, many facets of your story, not just the horsemanship side of it. But the the exciting part is when you do turn that corner with your horse and you start to understand that, hey, man, you guys are supporting each other, right? You're working towards a common goal together rather yeah. than a supervisor and subordinate relationship. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, just as a, you know, throwing this out, if any, you know, there you've had some amazing horsemen and amazing competitors and rodeo and stuff on the show. If any of y'all are listening and you want to give me any tips, holler because I'm yeah. I'm eager to learn, man, because I, I want I want to like I said in twenty nineteen, I want to be the very best horseman that I can be because it's made me a better husband. At least I would think so. Mariah, you can you can hopefully agree with <laughs> Mariah, that. Mariah, do but... you want to give us the honest answer on that? Oh yes. I <laughs> <laughs> it, it's made me a better husband and a better dad and it's made me more patient and, and even a better canine handler. You know, I still I still work dogs pretty pretty frequently and it's made me just look at things from a different perspective. And and honestly it's increased my relationship with God so much because I see so much of what he's doing in me, I see in horsemanship. And I think for for me, and, and you tell me if this is parallel in your journey, we oftentimes about talk about what what makes a good person, quote unquote, good person, right? And what makes life easier, more amicable. And we talk about patience and kindness and forgiveness and all these different emotions or approaches to life. Reading about it, hearing about it, studying on it is all one thing. But for me, the horse was able to bring those all to life and give me real world examples of it. And, oh, exactly. And, and I took those learning experiences from in the pen and start to deploy them in my life with human relationships. And that's where I completely resonate with you when you talk about becoming a better father and a husband and a friend as a result of the lessons learned in a horse, you know, because there was a point in my life when I was absolutely swallowed by my profession. And I was yeah. that bitter Bob running around, hating on everything, just total pessimist and, and wound tighter mm-hmm. than drum. And it wasn't <laughs> until the horse opened up my eyes and, and and helped me realize that, man, life ain't that bad. And there's there's more to your story than defeat. You know, it's been a, a huge blessing in my life. Yeah. And, and that's been our, our thing is, you know, we've, we don't ever, and I think that's why I don't like to, not that I don't like to, but I think that's why I choose not to tell this story so much is because I think it's important for people to hear in, in these kind of settings, but you know, we don't go around and, and, you know, I don't want to be that guy that, oh, you know, he's looking for sympathy or he's talking about what he wants because that doesn't define us. I mean, it doesn't define my, who I am as a father. And, and, you know, as with Crooked Bar, we've kind of attached Isaiah 43, two to our ministry about how, 
know, when you walk through the waters, they will not sweep you away. When you walk through the fire, basically like you, we belong, we know who we belong to and we know what God says about us and we know he's not going to let go. And we know who defines us. And it yeah. wasn't our problems. It wasn't my profession. It's not even horsemanship. My God defines who I am. And I want to leave a legacy behind that if my kids decide that they never want to work the ranch a day in their life, as long as they know who God is and they, they go on to whatever profession they choose, if nobody knows my name or, or Crooked Bar or anything, if I made an impact because of who God is in somebody's life, then we're totally happy with that. And I think we kind of leave that to our kids. You know? All of it is just absolutely incredible. And we sure have covered a lot of ground over the course of this conversation. And I'll tell you what, I thank God for each and every chapter and page in your story. And you look back on it and there's no way you can be in a running gun battle for over an hour and take 60 plus rounds and come out physically okay. And, and the emotional side of it has since started to repair itself by by God's grace. It's just absolutely incredible story. A huge motivating factor in this podcast is, is not necessarily to play the pity party, but I've been blessed with a lot of guests who have been broken and who've elected to share their trauma with, with other people to help folks grow and, and develop that legacy. And uh, Mariah, we thank you very, very much for, for coming along as part of this journey and and being the unsung hero, as, as I mentioned earlier, because I truly think that the wives are the backbone of a lot of this stuff. And it's not just law enforcement, military. You talk about the horsemanship and the ranching side of it, too, especially with so much travel that's done, you know, in the in the oil profession and, and in the ranching world. It's absolutely incredible. And it does take a village and a family to to, to build success. Yeah, absolutely. So in closing, I know we kind of touched, touched base on it earlier. I like to give people the opportunity to sell themselves. So can you guys kind of recap where you're at in social media, websites, emails, anything like that, where people can follow your journey, support your cause, or maybe even reach out to you with a helping hand? Yeah. Um, so we're on Instagram. Uh, our Instagram name is crooked underscore bar underscore ranch. Uh, we post a lot of stuff there. Um, you can find us on Facebook. It's You can search crooked bar ranch there. Uh, you can reach out on either one of those platforms and uh, and talk with us back and forth or, you know, see our posts. Uh, we would love for you guys to like and share those things and help us get this message out so that people can, you know, definitely see what God's doing. And, and hopefully we motivate people in that. We're also, like I said earlier, we're going to be doing a podcast and you can find all of those. The information for those podcasts will be attached to our social media. Uh, you can email us at crookedbar at gmail.com. Uh, we're on there as well. So that's checked a little less frequently, but you can definitely reach out to us there. So any of those platforms, and we would love to hear from you guys and, and kind of hear your stories. And if you just want to connect and, and let us either give us pointers or tips or let us know you're supporting us or, or whatever, we're open to it. So one thing I like to do in closing with every guest is give them the opportunity to share any final words or perspectives that they think would be beneficial to guests listening. So uh, if either one of you have a point, feel free to to offer up. Yeah, I would say first and foremost, if you're struggling with any, if you're ever hearing this and you're struggling with anything, PTSD or, you know, we're losing so many people uh, in, in law enforcement and military and just in the general population to suicide uh, every day. And if you're struggling with anything, just know that you can reach out and there are people that will support you and that love you and want the best for you. And just don't be afraid to reach out. And if you know somebody that's struggling with stuff, Make sure you're checking in on them and, and just do what you can to to be there for those people because it's a it's a very scary thing when you don't know how to handle a situation like that. And 
And the only other thing I got is don't ever let yourself get into competition with other people. Always try to be your own competition and be better than who you were yesterday. And if you don't have a church home, I, I greatly encourage you go out and, and, and find a good church to get involved with and get connected with people that, that want to pray and support you. And if, if you need anything on that end, we are so, so happy to pray with you or, or be part of your life in any way. If you need prayer, or you need something, feel free to reach out to us because we would love to, to be a part of that with you. Well, Travis, Mariah, I thank you very dearly for setting some time aside uh, to share with everybody here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast, and we're definitely looking forward to the growth of Crooked Bar as far as the ministry and the ranch side goes of it. And you know you always got a resource in the podcast world with Let Freedom Reign, so don't hesitate to reach out and ask, and, and we'll help you best we can with any of it. Awesome. Thank you. We're so honored to be a part of this, and we're excited for the future of this podcast as well. Thank you, guys. You all have a good day. You too. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.